Hi there, welcome to Where's Wilmington? I'm Lisa Kapala. You know, they do say everything old is new again, and I think today that's a good theme for what we're talking about. I have the pleasure of interviewing the new, fairly new, right? Sienna Lyon, she is the curator of the Hardin Tavern Museum. Say that five times fast. It's very difficult. I always try to get it right. <laughs> so, welcome. Thank you. Thank and you welcome to, to Wilmington and helping us out in the town. We do appreciate you being here today and also for what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. So I know that Terry McDermott yes. was the curator for a very long time. Correct. And she did a fabulous job and I'm sure you're going to be just as great. But can you tell us how you got involved with the Hardin Tavern in Wilmington? And then we'll backtrack a little bit about your actual background. Absolutely. So I graduated from my grad school in August and I was kind of looking for a job, August of 2021 I should say. Right. And I've been looking for a job for quite a while uh, at that point. And I had been looking on the job posting board for New England. It's called NEMA, New England Museum Association. And uh, they had a posting for this position. It was kind of a shot in the dark. I wasn't sure if they would actually, you know, pick me up for an interview. It had been difficult to get them, especially during the pandemic. Right, right. Um, Hard time to be looking for a job. Exactly. And it's especially a hands-on yes. job. Yep. Because part of what you do is artifacts, which you're going to exactly. show us. But the other piece is the community involvement. So... Definitely. During the pandemic, you couldn't do any of that. No. And when I interviewed with them in October, they were all super, super friendly. Terry was involved. And she actually, when they offered me the position, uh, she cross-trained me for a month, trying to shove 17 years of information right. into my head. So she did her best, I think. And, and hopefully, I'll live up to her expectations cool. for sure. So yeah, are you a Wilmington resident or nearby to us? Where I, are you from? So I'm from uh, Western Massachusetts. I grew okay. up in Belchertown, Mass. and Small town. Yeah, relatively small. It's big for the, the area, I guess. And, you know, I live in Chelmsford now, much less of a commute than Belchertown, as you can yes. imagine, Yes. Uh, with my fiancé. So it's only about a 20-minute drive. So okay. Much. So you grew up in what I consider a small town. We're yes. talking about population-wise, right? So how does Wilmington feel to you? Similar? the smallness yeah it's very close-knit community people have been extremely friendly love to work with me they reach out all the time and I've met quite a few people already that have been willing to offer their help and volunteer services and wonderful yeah it's, it's very similar to Belchertown in that like a really close-knit community despite right. how large it is so you didn't go from a huge market no you know <laughs> which we're glad to have you but I'm just thinking how it would be if you went to a huge market this probably felt a spec more comfortable for you definitely yeah. how does one decide they're going to become a curator you and I talked a little bit about your journey if you could share with how you got to where you are and why curation yeah it's quite the journey myself uh, normally it doesn't probably take as long as what I did what I ended up doing, my, my undergrad was at Ithaca College in New York in biology, and obviously I'm working with histor history or historical right. objects now. Uh, wanted to be a doctor. That ended up not being something that I it's ended up enjoying. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a great fit. So I took a few years off doing internships in paleontology out in Nebraska and South Dakota. Then I ended up applying to the curator uh, Sorry, I, I should say I ended up applying to school as a museum science master's degree in te at Texas Tech University, which right. is where I got my degree in that I most recently have. 
and I still stuck with natural history. So it, it was a very easy transition from bio to paleo to natural history. But then I ended up really liking the community, the small knit communities that are involved with history. And that's kind right. of how I ended up here. Okay, so you and I spoke a little bit beforehand about the difference between natural history yes. and museum history. Can you just walk us through what that means? Just so yeah. somebody listening might think, well, what's the difference really? Exactly, so uh, natural history, it's still called a museum curator position, but what we usually end up dealing with is organic specimens. So you're looking at things from animal skins that are preserved for research purposes, things in jars, uh, Basically, creepy, you, scary stuff. Yeah, spooky, scary skeletons, <laughs> all of that. Uh, and then regular, just museum curation. The non-natural history part is what people usually probably think of: different artifacts that are made of metals or plastics, artwork. Right. Uh, the particular stuff I work in dabbles in a little bit of everything. Okay, so I guess what you learned about archiving and cataloging can apply to any. Museum, exactly. uh, what do I want to say, uh, genre, probably. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right? The skills you learned, whether it's an animal yeah. or it's a jar thing or it's this <laughs> or great it's stuff that you yeah. brought, right? <laughs> okay, so when you first went to our museum in the town, what did you think? You know, I really, I met the people first, and they were great. Uh, our chair of our historic commission, Bonnie Smith, she was mm -hmm. just fabulous and super perky and, like, just, you could see she wanted to be involved. Terry's a little bit more subdued, but she cares and has so much knowledge. Right. Uh, so the people impressed me the most, and I've always loved historic homes. One day I'm hoping to live in one. Cool. You could just move right into the yeah. town. I'm sure there's space, <laughs> right? So yeah, it's. Uh, I've always kind of loved that little town environment. And cool. Everybody. And so I know that a lot of our civic organizations in the town do utilize the tavern. Mm -hmm. uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Eagle Scout projects. Can you talk a little bit about the community attachment to what you do and how that's important for you? Yeah, absolutely. We, right now, I mean, we take donations from pretty much anyone in the community. As and you probably need some. Right Everybody now, does. no, but... <laughs> You're doing good? That's great. Yeah, we're so I'm trying to just catch up with what we have. But we, if it's Wilmington history related, we would love to talk to people who, who want to maybe have some town history of themselves they want to offer up. Right. Um, and the different groups that I work with, Minutemen have been super awesome in the past. They're right next door to us. They use one of our outbuildings for all of their meetings. We right. also have a great relationship with the library. Uh, I'm working with the elementary school and we're hoping to go forward with a little bit of a field trip that they're going to come and do things at the museum. And I've also had some great high school volunteers working on their honor society hours and it's just been great all around. Wonderful. Lots of people reaching out. Wonderful. So your position is currently part-time. Does yes. that coincide with the hours that the museum is open and can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so right now I am part-time and the hours that the museum is open is Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 to 2. So you can always come by, knock on the door, see if I'm around. I should be. And uh, I also work some days just alone by myself to be able to take care of the artifacts and we're right. also open uh, once a month on a Sunday. It depends on what month it is, of course, with where holidays are, and that's an open house that anybody can stop by, and it's usually always two to four on whatever special Sunday we have, and we what? try to announce it ahead of time. Wonderful. What do you see for the future of the museum? I'm sure you have lots of ideas percolating. Definitely. What are you thinking? And I know you brought some goodies to tell us yes. about, too. So we are trying to, or rather I am trying to, do more rotating exhibits. 
One that I'm working on right now is going to be about depression and carnival glass. We have a large donation that came from descendants of the Harnden family, and I'd love to put those on display and teach people a little bit about them. And I also will be doing an exhibit with the library, working in tandem with them on older pieces of technology. Okay, so that would be Brad McKenna, <coughs> Charlotte Wood, Tina yes. Stewart, the library <coughs> folks. And then the carnival glass and the depression glass, a large collection was donated by the Harden family? Yeah, it's about, uh, I would say, probably 50 pieces of wow. glassware. Yeah. What is the importance of that particular style of glass making? That's a great question. So what you see here is just a candy jar. But what's so important about Depression glass, especially, rather than Carnival glass, is that it was manufactured during the time of the Great Depression and was often given away as incentives for, for purchases from anything. Right. Yeah. Buy one, get one. Exactly. Right? So you could buy laundry detergent and it would come with a plate or if sure. you spent a certain amount on like tires or gasoline, you get a free dish set. I remember my grandparents getting the free glass glasses from Esso gas station. There you go. Back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Exactly. And then there was one with a tiger in your tail or something like that, another yeah. one. So promotional. So it's promotional glass yes, too. A lot but of times. very nicely manufactured. Exactly. And you'd be surprised how how cheap things like this were and they just the idea was to be able to create jobs for mass manufacturing products like this. Interesting. So there was more to it than just giveaway. Yes, it was creating definitely. jobs because this was a depression. And so that's yeah. really out of the box thinking for its time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. <laughs> and then next to that is that little baby brownie camera that's on the yes. stand there. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how you acquired that. Yeah, so these were donated by a family in the past that I'm actually going to be doing a little bit of research into. They came in uh, just in the past couple years. Both items are in fairly good condition for how old they are. They're actually from probably around the early 30s. Um, this little guy right here would have been manufactured up through about the mid-50s, and it enabled it cost of that when it was first made was $1.25. So at that time, was that high price? It wasn't. No, not really. It was very easy for people to be able to purchase something like that to take home photos. They were wanted to encourage that. Uh, Kodak made it, of course. Right, right. And is that a pull-out? The, the photo comes out? Of it, no. or do you have to take it somewhere? You have to take it somewhere. It's not quite like a Polaroid that okay. you see. It's very small, about three by three inch. Uh, and obviously black and white. I'm gonna guess. You can also use Kodachrome or Kodacolor in wow. it. Yeah. Wow, fancy. So. Curious. Have you tried to actually snap <clears throat> any pictures? Not with this guy. Uh, the lens, you know, artifacts, a lot of times the lenses can be damaged over right. time, but also you try not to use them for what they were used for. Really? Yeah. You That's wanna, a rule of curation? Yeah, you pretty much, like, I would never put candy in that. I would really? never put, yeah, you, you don't want to use them. You want people to look at them and appreciate them, but yeah. for the most part, you're not actively using the things. Right, and damage could occur, I'm sure. Absolutely. That's the reason why, right? Okay. And then the one next to the brownie, that's a radio of some kind? Yes, it's a Kent radio. Again, early manufacturing. Uh, this one, I believe, was the 402 model. Uh, what was nice about this guy is that it did have a, you can hear it's metal. Yes. And you would be able to paint that to whatever color you wanted to. I think wow. it came in a base of like an ivory color. But uh, yeah, it's it's a nice little retro looking radio. Battery operated? No, it was actually plug-in. Um, the cord is cut on this guy just because it was in poor condition. And so it theoretically could have the cord replaced and you could plug wow. it back in. Fascinating. Yeah. What is a typical day like, if there is such a thing, for you <laughs> at the museum? What What's it look like to be you? Oh, it's a great time. <laughs> so when 
I, if I'm open to the public that day, 10 to 2, I'm usually always aware of if there's someone on the door. If there are people and visitors that come, then I end up doing a tour with them of each room of our historic house, which is the house is split into two. One is a more modern version built in about the 1870s, and the older version, the 1770s, that's where I give the tours. And when I'm not doing tours, I'm working with artifact objects. It can take up to eight hours per object to catalog it completely, including giving it a label, making sure you're entering it into your database, taking pictures of it, uh, cleaning it if necessary with special products. So mm -hmm. it's definitely- So we call that archiving, that yes. process? Yep. Okay. Do we share with other communities and do other communities share with us? Or would you like to see that happen if we don't? Um, as far as objects Artifacts, or information? yes, all of that. Yeah, I'm more than welcome and more than open to talking to anybody who's interested. Uh, other museums, if they ever reach out. I do reach out to a lot. Uh, I've spoken to some museums in, I believe it was Minnesota, about how to take care of uh, vintage dolls. Right. So we're a very open community. We like to talk to each other, give each other ideas. And being just one person, I very often reach out to people. I have a uh, what I call my museum mom in Texas, and she trained me on a lot of stuff during my internship, and I right. talk to her all the time. Because I'm sure when you get a new donation, it, you're holding it in your hands like yeah. very safely and <laughs> gingerly because you want to make sure it's protected. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay, how do you feel technology, I would say you're fairly young from where I'm sitting, how do you feel technology has helped with the archival process and all the things we can do that we might not have been able to do before? It's definitely, there's a reason a lot of people get master's degree in museum sciences now. There's a lot to learn. I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't, and that's okay. There's historians like Terry, she was like self-trained. She learned all this stuff by going to programs, taking classes, and then there's people like myself that don't have the in-person experiences much uh, with past jobs rather than just my schooling first and then jobs second. Right. Um, it's an interesting marriage of the two. Absolutely. The, the appreciation for history, which you got from Terry, which I'm sure you already had, <laughs> and then the technology piece. Yes. So do you feel that technology is helping us to be able to preserve these things? Definitely. So if you look back even in, in books on museum science in the 70s, how they're saying you should preserve things is now considered very incorrect and a lot of times could even be harmful to right. objects like for a lot of these things you're going to want to use certain types of paper that have been treated certain ways to wrap it in or uh, specialized markers to write on it and right because once like it's that. destroyed yeah there's no, no going back exactly right? and then for example this little camera here is made out of a older plastic called bakelite or bakelite i know bakelite yeah and yes. it can it can warp and shatter very easily right uh, especially over time so you want to make sure you're doing your best for that object so that it doesn't experience that kind of environment. Fascinating. Just a personal question as an aside. Yeah, How did your family feel when you said, or friends or close people, when you went from being a doctor to now being a museum curator? So I think it's a natural <laughs> fit. Really, I do. Yeah. But I'd like to hear your take on that. It, um, my parents were super supportive. Uh, so were all my, my friends were great. I but mean, it's not a horrible job. It's no, great thing. no, it's I'm just super saying, fun. It's, it seems, I think someone listening may think, how'd she go from there to there? But yeah. I actually think it's very linear. Yeah, it can, um, 
there's definitely a uh, uh, how do I put it salary difference. So when you when you're a heart surgeon, you're going to be making a lot more than a museum curator, which is right. fine because you do it for the love of the thing right. rather than the money. Right. And uh, and a lot more school. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't you feel know. comfortable doing a PhD or a doctorate of that kind, so I right. was. I was fine with this. Right. But I think you have to have a scientific linear mind to protect these objects. And yeah. I think I think caring for these objects is very similar to people. Yeah. Even though it's different, it's the same. You must take the same care and love that you would with a patient. So Absolutely. I can see how that would be an easy fit. What do you think is going to happen to the museum under your guidance? Uh, I would hope to have a lot more programs. I know uh, the quarantine kind of kicked butt on having programs. Right. And then I'd love to have more people coming in, doing more interactive activities, uh, especially kids. I love kids and uh, different kinds of things that we might reach out to the community, do right. presentations, do things like this. Right. Um, bring our artifacts, doing loans with other museums or, or with the library. Uh, yeah, absolutely anything and everything that I possibly can. Um, right, because I think sometimes we forget about the history piece. You know, yeah. we're also forward thinking, especially this particular generation. What's new, what's new, what's new? Yeah, absolutely. But history is really important, and when it's gone, it's gone. So yes. I thank you for preserving what yeah. Wilmington already has and those who came before you yeah. that did that too. So let's go over again when you're there and how we can get in touch with you. Absolutely. So the best way to get in touch with me is probably the phone number um, for the museum, which is available on, if you just Google Harnden Tavern. I should know it by heart by now, but I don't. Um, and then I'm sure you can also provide people with my email, which I tend to check on a daily, if not multiple daily basis, which... Okay. Um, and the hours you're there are, I want to say, Tuesdays and Thursdays? Yes, is that right? again. Yep. Okay, so Tuesdays, people just want to stop by and knock on the door, kind of make an appointment, yep, you know, once they visit you and say hi. For sure. Okay, what was the most surprising thing about the museum for yourself when you actually entered the realm? Um, There's a lot of cool stuff in there. If you haven't yeah. seen it, go see it. Yeah, please do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's probably the amount of stuff that, right. that needs to be taken care of continually. It's not right. just a one and done. So we have two rooms full of archival material. And right now it's just me trying to figure out exactly what we have and how we can utilize it. Right. Do you clean all of this stuff too? Like white gloving and dusting <laughs> and making sure everything's safe and hermetically sealed. Do you do all of that yourself? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot to do. Definitely, yeah. It, it takes. That's why I said eight hours per object is not unheard of. It's wow. definitely a work in progress always. Well, thank you so much for oh, preserving absolutely. Wilmington for us. <laughs> is there anything final you'd like to say before we scoot out today? You know, uh, hopefully you all will be able to come and see the new Depression Glass exhibit. I'm I hoping, can't wait. Yeah, I'm hoping to have it coming up pretty soon. Um, and, you know, I just love chatting with people, so wonderful. it's a pleasure. Well, thank you, Sienna, for coming by and visiting us. I know you're very busy, so we'll let you get back to <laughs> yeah. your eight hours of cleaning and Yay. whatever else you have to do. <laughs> and thank you for bringing those little goodies for us to see. Not a that problem. So nice thank of you. you. Well, thank you for watching Where's Wilmington. If you want to stop by and see Sienna at the Hardin Tavern Museum, I always struggle when I say that, uh, give her a call or stop by Google or Facebook, you can check it out. Great for tours, a great fun thing to do on a rainy day, even a sunny Absolutely. day too, right? If you're an Eagle Scout or you're looking for fun things to do or you want to support the tavern by maybe helping clean up the yard, I know we've had those projects before, please reach out. Thanks so much for watching Where's Wilmington and the next time someone asks you Where's Wilmington, you tell them right here and right here on WCTV. We'll be with you again soon.